Hello and welcome everyone to the podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bendian. I'm here each week talking with creative musicians about all of their really interesting projects and their thoughts about the creative process. And today I'm joined by an old friend and collaborator, Tom Chu. He's a violinist and a composer. He leads the Flux Quartet, which has been active now for many years, uh, premiering and commissioning works by incredibly interesting modern composers. Uh, Tom and I worked with Ornette Coleman together after uh, I had collaborated with Flux Quartet on a piece of mine called Alloy. And I'm so happy to have him here to chat with him about his life and his music. Hi, Tom. Hey, Greg. Great to, great to be with you. So happy to see you again. The last time Tom and I saw each other was at Princeton University right before the pandemic started. And he was performing the wonderful piano and string quartet piece by uh, Morton Feldman with the wonderful pianist from Los Angeles, Vicki Ray, who has also been a guest on this program. And uh, Tom, that, that was such an interesting experience being in an audience for a rare performance, I think, of that Feldman piece. It's about an 80 minute piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, I want to talk to you about the longer Feldman pieces, but you know, the 80 minute piece really uh, was an amazing thing to experience live because I knew the piece. I enjoyed the piece, loved the piece, loved to get in, into all the later variations that, that occur by the end. You know, it's such a big payoff in a way. Mm -hmm. how, did you, how did you feel about, uh, about those performances? You did it a few times with Vicky, right? We did it twice, yeah. We did it twice. Well, we, um, Vicky is, is such a great pianist, uh, partic and particularly for, for that type of music. Um, she, she has such a, you know, it's a very meditative music, right? And she just has like that perfect energy for it. And uh, I, we, we we and we loved working with her. We thought the performances were great. It just, um, you know, you can't. Um, sometimes, uh, music has music, different music has different moods that goes along with it, right? And you you can you often can't force the mood, and you know so when 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 someone like Vicky. Uh, like he, she just sort of, I guess a big part of like, you know, that mood is like part of her artistry. So it just becomes, you know, so the, the mood just like very, just organically um, um, emerges. And I think that's, that's always really special about those performances. I think it is a wonderful quality of Feldman's music that it is so meditative and introspective. Um, he was so fond of quiet sounds, but that I feel is a, really part of his genius because it pulls you in, in a way. Yeah, he, you know, if you if you analyze if if you put if you put on like your a music theorist hat and you analyze the like you know the the content of his chords and his and his and, and his pitch choices. Is actually extremely, you know, a, a, a broad word I could use is complicated, but it's also it's just very actually, 
Um, it's very like 20th century European chromatic chromaticism. However, he he's he, you know, he slows it down. <laughs> so so you could you could hear those sonorities. Um, you know, I don't know. I can't, that was um, let's just say that was just one one great. I mean, you know, he's he's a master of other tricks, but that was one great trick that he had, and really worked for really works for his music. That's a really good point. The, those sonorities, those dissonances, those uh, musical entities would be flying past you, right? In a in a Schoenberg piece, or exactly, you know, in a in a Warren piece, or what have you. But he gives you this sense of savoring the sonority, right? And so, so all of a sudden, what is dissonant actually sounds consonant because you're just lingering there for a while. <laughs> you start to get used to it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because repetition and familiarity takes away a certain quality of a dissonance. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, consonance and dissonance is such a huge concept throughout the music that we've been dealing with our whole life right and be, and from before our lives but I, I found it interesting that like when i was working with cecil taylor and he was playing these really dissonant cluster piano runs mm -hmm. when he would go into a major seventh chord or into some sort of uh what would be considered consonant sonority he had flipped it and all of a sudden, consonant sounded dissonant to me. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because con in a way, dissonance is like, oh, this doesn't fit with my picture of, you know, consonant. So it's going, it's dissonant. It's going against. And then here he had been working in all these dissonant sounds. And then he went consonant. And I thought, that doesn't fit. I know what you mean. Because what we're talking, I mean, when talking about this, we're really, we're talking about like, either point of stability or point of instability right so if if the norm like like what you're saying about cecil if if the if the bass language is the is the dissonant language then then all of a sudden the the, the consonants becomes like a point of instability <laughs> i yeah. like making it but that idea that you just you, you just served us which is the overall kind of uh, palette or the overall uh, sound world, we know what's within it and what's without of it, and what's out outside of it. Outside, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and you know that goes beyond consonants and dissonance too, right? I mean, it, it's loud and soft. It's all these different uh, contrasting and and uh, opposite kinds of qualities. Yeah, I was also felt like Feldman. I think I said this to Vicky too, like. Feldman for me is almost like a prolongation of Webern. Mm -hmm. Like if you took any of those little moments, those little connection collections of notes that very Webern will move through and just mm -hmm. and looped it for you know for thirty seconds, then that's sort of it's pre it's pre designating kind of an area that Feldman would then linger on, right. And there's something else that that I wanted to ask you about that concert in in uh, in Princeton. You also played the first Stravinsky string quartet. Yes. I guess for people who haven't heard it, it eerily kind of predates 
the sound world of of the uh, the string quartet work with Feldman. So uh, yeah, so, somewhat yeah. I, I I hear what you're saying. And David Lang was curating that concert, and, and was that at that concert? And I spoke with him a little bit, and he he felt very strongly that the Stravinsky kind of got involved with this, the Feldman world, but then he left it. He he did he wasn't interested in continuing that kind of sound world, was he? Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I, that's neither here or there for me. Okay. <laughs> um, I think, well, I mean, let's, you know, I mean, Stravinsky predates Feldman, so it's a little, it's a little uh, awkward to <laughs> talk about, um, right, it's a little backwards to. <laughs> well, that's true, but I guess what I mean is, uh, how did you feel presenting those two pieces together and how they felt felt as a as a duo program. Um, I I I mean I see the the, the you know they're 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 definitely big sections of, of the Stravinsky piece that has minimalistic tendencies, repetitious tendencies. So yeah, there's I I mean I, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. There's definitely that connection. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, David was just, uh, he, he was just interested in juxtaposing one very short piece against a very long piece. <laughs> so, um, it's, you know, I think, uh, in the sense that I, it, I think it's fun to have like a tiny appetizer in front of <laughs> like a, you know, very big, um, main course steak dinner what, what have you <laughs> yeah that was interesting the the, the stravinsky's yeah. come in at about like four minutes for yeah maybe maybe five minutes with there there are three movements so my five minutes to the breaks yeah yeah that that was interesting because by by the time we got to about 45 minutes of the feldman people were they were not hanging. I, I guess you know what I want to add something else. Now that I think about it more, there, one one other real real overlap between those two pieces, and and let's just say that piece of Stravinsky with Feldman's work, is is there is this there is a sense of non development. You know, it's a little bit. It's like with with it, it's it's a little bit. It's like the pieces, the Stravinsky pieces. It's a like the first movement, first pieces, is like a one idea piece, you know? And I think the third movement, third piece is also very much a one idea piece. This is the second piece is a little more complicated. And going back to your relating Webern with Feldman, and I totally, I mean, and there's total connection. And if you ask musicologists, you know, 95 out of 100 would agree, right, you know? Um, but I think, again, the development of material is a little different. Um, uh, uh, where, where Webern's progression of material, I think, is, retains, you know, uh, uh, Western European music. But, but Feldman, in the sense, in that sense, Feldman, let's just say, is actually very American. You know, he's, his pieces, it's, it's really section by section. 
and and I mean there is there is some crazy logic when he goes from one section to the next section, but the sections are enclosed. It isn't you know it's not like Beethoven where Beethoven will take the motif from this section and and work on it and then that goes to section two or whatever you know where there's like a connection and link. I mean Feldman. It the the it structurally it's modular, you know. Always, a, a lot of times, a lot of times. So an, an event that takes place in you know minute sixty five is not going to be related to an event in a Feldman piece that takes place in the first seven minutes. No, th uh, that's not what I'm saying. That that does happen. But what I'm saying is the, the, what's happening in minute seven, and let's say, you know, minute, um, let's just say minute 10 or minute, minute 12 is, is different music. It's not like the music in minute seven evolves into the next section of music. It kind of just sort of jumps to the next section of music. So do you think that that's going on on a micro level. Is he, is he doing every section being block form? Boom, stop. Boom, go to the next thing. Well, you know, um, it's very well known that uh, this that his composition, that this aspect of his composition process is very well known. That he wrote like a single page. Um, like for, um, I mean, I know eventually you're gonna probably ask me about string quartet number two. String quartet number two, every page of the score is, is three systems of, of music, each system with, with nine measures. And every, every page is, is that. And he's, he's always just composing that page of music. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, some sections is, you know, gonna be, two of those pages but he's still he's thinking about the page and and he doesn't when he's done he's done and another fun thing like you earlier you were saying uh something that happens in 60 something minutes 65 minutes 65 minute mark versus the seven minute mark that does happen the, the, in this 60 let's yeah we're talking hypothetical right so let's say yeah the 65th minute uh, it's a recurrence of the material from from the seventh minute, but he doesn't he doesn't cut and paste. He like he writes again, but he writes from memory. So sometimes there'll be one measure that he remembers incorrectly. <laughs> so it's just like whoa, but it, that, that that just actually what happens. <laughs> so that creates it's, it's it's not it's not a mistake. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a Feldmanism. <laughs> so, so to what degree were you really researching his, his compositional process when you were going to prepare to play these pieces? Any interest? Um, well, in, in the sense that um, <laughs> my first exposure and, and Flux's first exposure <laughs> To him was string quartet number two, kind of like the mother of all Feldman pieces, and that was back in '99. So look, it's been 22 years. 
And obviously, my understanding of Feldman has vastly grown and expanded. So, so now, I mean, even just my experience with string quartet too, you know, we, I think, performed it worldwide probably 17 times, something like that. And, and each time it comes up again, that, that's, yes, that's the five and a half hour to six hour piece. And each time it comes up again, you, you, you just, you just, you just, you know, it's just one further step of understanding, like, you know, what, what this, this crazy genius was thinking. Can you share any insights into his music that you think maybe people would be interested in or surprised by? Um, we always joked that he has, he has this um, uh, uh, slightly evil and sadistic sense of humor because he um he's always a, a lot of times his intervals are are sevens and ninths okay you know just just below an octave or just above an octave but you know smaller or larger than an octave and he would also spell the notes and i mean i don't know if you need to explain to the listeners but but you know like like a simple c could be spelled as a b sharp <laughs> <laughs> or a D double flat. <laughs> and, and it could be like, like, you know, like what I was saying before he composed pages, right? So there could be two full pages of just two notes. Okay. I mean, two pitches, but constantly spelled differently. <laughs> so, but you know, I had someone tell me, maybe it was Vicky Ray, that he meant that. That he thought well, that the, the tuning of a B sharp was different than the tuning of a C natural. Yes, there are there are some discussions out there about that. I I also have read you know some things he's said from his interviews. Um, my opinion is it's not really that conclusive. Hmm. Um, but what I feel is quote Michael microtono about his music is and this especially um, um, applies to his long duration pieces is is that um, and you know I can I, I can I can uh, I can't speak for all instruments but I'll speak to string instruments which is you know what 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 I play after X number of hours of continuous playing, the, the strings, we, the, our, our instruments go out of tune. And so we, we, have to, we have to keep playing and we have to keep, now, if, if, we're, if we're playing stop notes in which, you know, our, our left hand puts a finger down, I mean, we could, right, we could adjust and put it in the right place. But so much of his music has harmonics. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> you get to like the second half of his piece, of these long pieces, or even the last third or the last quarter, 
and things just naturally start sounding microtonal. <laughs> so I would definitely embrace that as something, let's just say, I think it's a phenomenon he didn't, he didn't shy away from, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, uh, this is, this is, this is a process, you know, it, this is going over long duration and, and the actual, let's just say, um, wear and tear and decay of, of, of the tools that we're using, that's part of the process. <laughs> and, and, and that becomes part of the music. Okay, but this begs the question, <laughs> because I definitely want to talk about this idea of long duration pieces, right? Having been involved in some long duration music, never six hours, but um, does that become part of the recorded process? Or are you in the studio trying to use the studio to record the piece in sections? and tune up between sections to keep it sort of a certain way? Or were you, re were you um, memorializing that transformation of sound over the course of six hours? I would say we didn't, I mean, we, you know, we, we made one recording, right? Um, and no, we did not, what I just talked about, the natural decay during a performance, we, we didn't apply that to the recording. So, so, you know, we, we were, we go from what section to section during the recording, we, we, we tune, we tune back up. Yeah. So, well, you know, do you think that Feldman, did he ever speak about that erosion of, uh, of pitch over the course of a piece? I personally haven't come across that, but you know, I, 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 I'm happy to, to, to read more of his own, you know, writings or interviews. To, to, to get get to that. Back to, you know, earlier, I, when I was saying there would be, let's say two pages of music with two pitches that, that kept being spelled differently. It just, I mean, from just from a, from a rational perspective, you know, this is music that's repetitious. So it, it didn't, I mean, for me, it doesn't make sense that you try to make the pitches different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that, that screws up the repetition. <laughs> and also, you know, during, I mean, in, in this type of material that I'm, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm describing, he, he changes um, uh, the, the duration of notes. Like that's how, that's how he creates this weird haze. Because it would be like, da 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 da. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think the I think the parameter that's changing is is duration. So why would you want to also change pitch? You know. So I don't really think that's what's going on. So he was messing. My with my opinion, a little bit, yeah, yeah. But he's also it was also like to to make he he was really. It, he was really interested in making the players of his music be have a certain focus to to the to the pitch that they're playing. 
So, I mean, yeah, we could say he's messing with you, but it's also, you could also say he's forcing you to be focused. I like that. How does one perform, uh, prepare to perform a six hour piece by Morton Feldman? You just go out there and do it. <laughs> um, really? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. The, the, the very first time, it, it was, it was, it, it was months and months of preparation, and also the very first time we had. Um, let's just call this a dress rehearsal, but we did a. Um, we booked. Uh, do you, do you know the the local New York City? Uh, uh, area the the best radio station in the world wfmu free yes. form free form free form radio and we were fortunate to and it's 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 a it's it's one of my most happy places <laughs> talking about that radio station but we were fortunate there, there was a, i uh, just out of you know do you know how just you know, music lovers are just naturally going to find each other and bond, right? So, so when I discovered the station shortly after I moved to New York, in my you know in my early to mid twenties, um, I I started uh, just developing some friendships at the station. So there was one DJ. Um, his name is uh, his his radio name was Kenny G, and we were able uh, his real uh, full name Kenneth Goldsmith. We were able to. He he was so uh, generous to uh, he uh, you know I, I I proposed this to him and he was so generous he was like oh yeah uh, I, I I asked him if we could on one of his three hour shows like just a few days it might have been you know half a week or five days before the actual performance we say okay during your three hour show can we just play three hours of this piece. And so that was our dress rehearsal on a, on a specific radio uh, uh, show on WFMU. And it, that was like, that was great. That really prepped us for, oh, this is what it feels like. <laughs> How do you pr prepare your body to go on stage to do that? I mean, without being able to take a bathroom break or have any nutrition? Is it just just become like a, a physical uh, meditation? I, I, I um, you know, now some now over twenty years later and doing this 16, 17 times, you know, I, I could tell you, yeah, it's 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 a little bit. It's just mind over. It's like mind over matter. And and um. um I think one can, you know, one could be simplistic and say, oh, it's like, uh, it's like a challenge of completing a task, <laughs> right? But it's, it's more than that. The, the, the task, because the task is, is such a, such a beautiful and such a rewarding one. Like, like the thing, it's very hard, yes, to go through that, that five and a half plus hours. Um, but, but what we're playing is so much of it is such beautiful music that we want to get to the finish line. You know, we don't, 
we don't want to to fail. We don't want to quit in the middle. We want to get to the finish line. Um, I said that you know over you know some twenty years later, I could tell you it's mind over matter. But the first few performances, we didn't really have an answer for what you asked about how you know how to prepare for not going to the bathroom or how to or 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 nutrition. I think initially we worried, we worried a lot about, about, about our bladder. But, you know, uh, after a few experiences, we, I think, you know, well, after a few experiences, we, we tweaked it. We tweaked it. We started, we started to learn, oh, wow, you know, you do need, you, you do, you know, you do need, like a high degree of energy to be able to get to the end. So people have slightly different um, ways to deal with it because we have slightly different um, physical metabolisms. But for me, it's, it turned out to like eating a really nice, like high protein, big meal about two and a half hours before playing. And then and then you know at that point also like that like that's also the end of liquids and then just you know and then just let it just just let it you know let your body settle and stuff and that uh, gets it for me gets me to the end and maybe don't drink a bunch of coffee right before you go on right yeah well, there's obviously a lot of other stuff I want to talk to you about, but before we go on, on to another topic, what what is the importance of Feldman's music for you? Um, I, 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 I referred to this earlier. There, uh, there is this undeniable beauty to it. Um, but I also like, I'm really, this is on so many levels. Um, and this is, this was one of his goals. And I think this is a, something of interest to me as, as, as a, as an artist in the larger sense of, of, you know, so, so let's say beyond, beyond musician, but of, of creating art is, is, um, you know, Feldman was, Feldman went to these long duration forms because he wanted to break out of um, an expected duration of concert pieces. Like he felt, you know, he, go, he goes to Carnegie Hall or wherever and he sits down and he's like, oh, that piece is gonna be 30 minutes or something, you know? <laughs> and so this was his way of, 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 of breaking that, that, that um, like, that kind of uh, predicted preconception you 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 get even 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 you know even before you get to the concert hall, um, I and in 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 that I like. I often describe this long piece, as, a sound installation, with live musicians, which in in effect it's. Um, it off that that I, I I feel like that's we that that is what 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 it comes off to be, um, the feeling of the music yeah it sounds like um, these spotty sounds you would 
here at a gallery space or something. And, and um, when, when we present the piece, we always um, make a point uh, you know, people who come to experience a piece, they, you know, they, uh, they're, they're different. There are probably three different types of people, and but there's a core part of them. They, they know exactly what they're in for, you know. But we still make a point to say, yeah, um, enjoy it as you wish. We can't go to the bathroom, but you could go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know. So, so again, in that, it, it is also like you know, whether it's a gallery or a museum space, it's a little bit like walking around, you know, and, and you know, you're, you're listening to sound art. That's, that's, that's what's happening. And, and that part of it is, is very interesting to me because it's, it's, it's it, it, we, as musicians, we need to bring what we do to, to, to new audiences. And, and that's like a, that's a, you know, and, and to go to other, art audiences is, is one really great way to, to, you know, great, great direction to go in. Yeah, in fact, you mentioned other art audiences and, and Feldman was part of a New York scene where he was very interested in painting. Exactly. And arts. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that I think, plus what you're mentioning about an environmental musical experience. Yes. Is, is fascinating. And when Flux performed the second string quartet at um, Union, was it? Cooper, Cooper, Cooper Union. Union. I yeah. was there and uh, I did a, a couple hours and I went out and I had something to eat and I came back in, you know, in about 45 minutes. And I loved that experience because the piece had changed by the time I got back. You know, obviously it's going to change. But I also had an experience of like that organism has been living in that room. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I felt as though, well, that that's living its life over there. And, and my life took me outside to get a bite. And now I'm back in. Oh, it's still alive. It's still behaving. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Amazing. And and you guys, uh, you know, are are quite amazing for having tackled that. And making that experience happen because you know that doesn't happen a lot, and those right. pieces don't get played a lot for a reason. Um, one other thing that came to mind is there's a very brief film of uh, Elliot Carter and Morton Feldman talking about long pieces mm. in, in Buffalo in like the 70s, mm -hmm. and, and and Feldman says we don't need any more 20 minute pieces. We need a piece that's going to be at least two hours, going to be more than two hours. And Elliot Carter says. Who do you mean by we? <laughs> <laughs> right? And he said, I don't know if we need a two hour piece that nobody's going to play. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, that's a great nexus of realities. Well, he's, he's taking off. He's going his own way. Arguably, no one else was really going to go that way. But Carter had this whole other way of viewing it almost as like um, a utilitarian agreement with the 20 minute piece or the 30 minute piece. And Feldman was, has already broken away and he's like, no, that's not how I want to experience music. Right. And the other Feldman quote I love is uh, someone asked him, did you go to the concert by the group for contemporary music last night, Mel um, Morton? And he said, no, but I can tell you the music was either too fast or too loud. 
Tom, I, I'm really happy to talk with you today. And, and one of the things that I, that I wanted to get into is uh, you're very much like me in that you're fascinated with the work of jazz artists and avant-garde, forward-looking African-American composers and improvisers. So I, just to name a few, Henry Threadgill, Wadada Leo Smith, Muhal Richard Abrams, Oliver Lake, Leroy Jenkins. These are guys that I came up interested in. In fact, I studied drums with Threadgill's drummer from Air, Steve McCall. So I was very interested in Henry Threadgill from back in high school. So when did that whole thing start for you? And did that start with working with Ornette or was that something that's just always been in your, in your field of interest? I, I would say it did, I would say it did start with working with Ornette or, or shall I say working with Ornette uh, opened like a, like a universe to me. Um, I would also say um, around the time I met Ornette, this was in the mid 90s, I think 90, 96 or 95, I started to just on my own personal exploration become a fan of that genre of music. Um, so so the, I, guess the, I guess the timing was fortuitous, you know, and then, and then working with the legend like that, it just sort of bumped me off to a, like, a, like a much higher level of, uh, shall we say, voracious appetite for it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and then, yeah, I was, I feel very uh, fortunate that, that that being the stepping stone led me to, to, to other, um, other of these artists you talk about you know it's almost like it's a, you know it's, it's a it's a venn diagram of <laughs> of a uh, really great uh of, of of experimental and free jazz um the, the 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 greatest thing about that whole community of of creative artists is they they all like they they all have their in the, their own independent approaches of doing things and they all have so much respect for other like-minded musicians it's it's a real it's a community that's extremely warm and supportive you, you don't find that in, <laughs> in in many many communities and it really is. And they're all, they're all, they're all very, they're very, they're all artists because they're, they're doing their own thing. You know, I mean, that said, they're probably also always, I mean, I mean, this, I mean, artists, you do, you do your, you do your own thing, but you, you're also always, you're also always learning, right? And kind of expanding. I mean, you know, you take from other places so, so that you can expand what you're doing, right? And I, I just, you know, I, I have to go back, yeah, I just, just to go back to just the warmth and the mutual respect of, of like everybody I've met in that community just makes like, 
creating music so rewarding. <laughs> yeah. you know, with 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 um those those great musicians. I I had the same experience. Um, it's also was remarkable to me, like say in high school when I started listening to, you know, Air and and Wadada and World Saxophone Quartet and uh, Julius Hemphill, Muhal, Oliver Lake's projects. I noticed pretty early, and this would be in the 70s, so I was still in high school, they're really interested in classical music. And that right. they were influenced by the ideas of Stockhausen and they were influenced by the ideas of Schoenberg and, and the European school. And I thought that that was so cool because those guys are going to be influenced differently than, say, the guys we were talking about, Feldman or Carter or Warren. And, mm -hmm. and so they were going to bring improvisation to it. Mm -hmm. And they were going to bring really their own personalities to it. And that was the lesson, the object lesson for me as a young composer was, oh, you better come up with your own way of mixing and matching. Yeah, right. That's the object. The idea is to come up with your own way of coping with 12 tone and serialism and free improvisation and modular forms. And it, all yeah. It's so different from my experiences in the, in the quote classical world, because in the classical world, it, it, the, the, the education is, often way too much master apprentice you know imitate what i'm doing <laughs> yeah it's 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 not it's, it's almost never what you just described you know find your own way but and and that is that that specific thing is also was and has always been very appealing to me yeah i think it might also be uniquely american because it's, it's mm -hmm. you know it's not as a, a European approach, right? Right, I agree. Uh, and you know this goes back to, um, you know, uh, goes back to Charlie Parker, right? He was really interested in the classical music of his time. I mean, like really, yes. yeah, yeah. Stravinsky, yeah, yeah. Bartok, mm -hmm. yeah. But I guess it wouldn't surprise you to know that Cecil Taylor was a huge Stravinsky and Bartok guy. Right. And, you know, when, when you're hanging with those guys and they're learning from classical music, you know, they're mm. checking it out. They're saying, what, what can I do with this? You know, like Cecil's favorite Stravinsky piece was Agon. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like one of the hits, you know. Um, and those guys were, you know, they're real models of of self-education, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, finding what, what you find interesting and working with that. Um, and I know you guys uh, recorded with Oliver Lake and you've been working with him on and off for, for some years, right? Yeah. Almost 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because he's such an interesting figure. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Oliver's Oliver's great. <laughs> And uh, uh, you know we've we've played. He has like, um, I think he has enough string quartet pieces for like two, uh, for two full programs. That, and 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 you know and also, 
uh, I would say um, they're a little bit flexible. Like they could be done to string quartet alone, or if 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 it's a if it's a gig that he gets whatever he he could just he could he could you know he could put a part on top of the, of the piece you know. So you know it's it's a little bit either or. Um, but some some pieces are, are are more specific, but a lot of the pieces are like that. Um, and I also have. I also have done um, dual stuff with Oliver, and then he's also um, he's also done like larger scale. Um, um, I guess we'll, we'll, we could say um, 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 either mixed media or interdisciplinary works, where he like collaborates with poets or or uh, spoken word, and we've done we we've done and it, this this might be a larger ensemble of musicians, but we've done pieces like that, and. We we actually have a we have an upcoming uh, ni nice big project at, with Oliver at the Library of Congress. Um, um, actually postponed because of the because of COVID nineteen, but but it's going to uh, we're 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 completing this project sometime in the next couple months, and it's going to be uh, uh, remotely broadcasted on 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 the on the Library of Congress's website. Um, and uh, um, I, I, I had a like, like actually about that about that I had an interesting conversation with Oliver recently on on that project. There's one of which uh, we have we have two programs and one one is like a like an experimental jazz centric program and the other is a little more of a, a, a contemporary uh, you know hardcore contemporary music program and. On the on the experimental jazz program, we have three pieces by Oliver, and one one is a violin piano duo that I had not previously played. So I had and and it's it's about um, oh, let's say I don't know sixty five to seventy percent notated, and then and then maybe thirty percent open. And I just had a conversation with him about about the about the open section, about you know, about the improvised sections. And his his again, I think this answer is so reflective of of the of the of the, of the artists that are working in this community. He's like, you just you bring to the improvisation what you bring to it. <laughs> you know, like it's not like um, I mean, you know, they're the improvised sections come from like a section of written music. So, you know, we're gonna naturally derive, probably use material from that. But but other than that, yeah, it's like you, like, like what he said, you bring to it what you bring to it. Um, there's just this sense of, there's this really welcoming sense that yes, you can do it. <laughs> and like, like, don't think that uh, you're lacking, you know, this type of experience or that type of experience or whatever, or, you know, uh, I, I, you know, don't have the beep up chops or whatever, what have you, you know, it's just like, just, just uh, like, just, you know, throw yourself in the deep end and, and just own it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and just like, and you know what, and it's, and just express yourself. I think that's another thing I, I love about, about about I, I I know I'm, I'm I keep talking about this community broadly, but I think it really makes sense to talk about it broadly. They're really about expression, you know. Their their music and it's it's about personal expression. And 
and I know often, I think, you know, I think sometimes people who are like, are more, more comfortable like dealing with pitches and durations and, and you know, and things like that, they, they might be a little bit um, perplexed about just hearing just, just this force of sound, you know? <laughs> But but that's that's what it is. It's just it's it's a it's just it's just expression, and it's it's very it's very human. You know, it it comes it comes from somewhere very deep, and very personal. And I I I I, I love that about a lot of um of uh, I I love that aspect of of what a lot of these artists do it's huge yeah uh, you know uh because i you know i have very vivid memories of when i first started working with cecil knowing well he wants me to bring contemporary classical percussion influences he's not against that he's not looking for me to be a free jazz drummer obviously a lot of other people were because they thought, you know, what is this guy, you know, trying to put preparations on cymbals and the drums and, you know, try to create all this percussion ensemble stuff. But Cecil was fine with it. Also, uh, remember when we were working with Ornette, probably the first rehearsal, he came over to me. I was playing timpani in the ensemble. He came over to me. He put the music down on my stand. He looked at me, he looked at the music, and he looked at me and he said, I don't want you to play any of this. I want you to do your own thing. <laughs> and that was unbelievable because the music was right there. And it was all bum ba dum bum 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 bum. It really was. It was very straight and kind of like a march. And I thought, this doesn't look like Ornette's music at all. Like this wouldn't be my concept of Ornette's music. And he's literally said to me, I don't want you to do any of what's on the page. I want you to do your own thing. It's very liberating. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to, there was a bass player on the ensemble, as you will call. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm going to be the second bass, you know, Ornette likes to have second bass players. Too. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I'll be the second bass player on timpani. Right, right. I'm going to be changing pitches. I'm going to be moving you know, rhythmically in, in, in tandem with the bass player, or at least aware of what the bass player was doing. So a lot of that was, again, all of my thought process. I didn't check in with Ornette about that. I just right. thought, you know, I can do what I want. Oh, I have some ideas. <laughs> right. Yeah. How did you meet Ornette? Well, that, that, that first, um, were we talking about that recording project? Yeah. No, I mean, when, when, when you I said you came on, you came on for the, 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 the concert, right? I did the concert and the recording. Yeah. Oh, and the, oh, and the recording. Yeah. It was, um, a piece called okay. the statue, which was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I understand. Uh, it was, well, I'm, I think people might know it. It's, it's a piece for the uh, statue of Liberty commemoration called the statue. We weren't premiering it. I think it had been performed before. Right. Oh, you know, no. Now you know what now. 
Wait, yo, apologies. It's a little while ago. So actually, you know, the recording, the recording was actually done twice. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, this, the, 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 right. What you're talking, because we were recording things. I mean, everything was being recorded. The rehearsals the, were being In the rehearsals leading up to the concert. Yeah. So actually, uh, about four years, four or five years prior to that, there was actually attempt number one of recording that piece with the with the Juilliard group, uh. and and I was part of that group. I was actually the concertmaster of 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 that of that group, and that's how um, that's that's how that 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 was my introduction to Ornette. So how did he feel about dealing with the Juilliard musicians? I will just say that, that you know, our rendition of it was, let, let's just say that the, the Juilliard sessions were, were, were much more by the books or, or you know, um, much, much, much more like follow the page yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot less, uh, it had a lot, you know, a lot less room for for experimenting and trying different things out. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those rehearsals very well. Um, Lou Soloff was the trumpet trumpet player yeah. on it. That was great. That's uh, right. And I also remember Ornette uh, talking to the musicians, and a lot of them were classical players that I, I think you had organized. Right. Right. I, I, I contracted, I, I put I put together the group, yeah. Yeah, because you brought me on to it. And, yeah. uh, and I remember Ornette saying things to them like, well, you know, the fifth is the same as the seventh, and, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And how they would yeah. have to just deal with that and just scratch their heads and say, yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. What did you feel about Ornette's linguistic thing like how, how did you how did you deal with the things that he said that i think were always a borderline poetry more than they were actual statements um i, I think i think i know what you're asking um i well i just think uh when you know, he, he he is the ultimate like person with the biggest ideas so when when he does, you could say that what he's saying is um, is 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 um, uh, how, how should I say like you know ambiguous or unclear or, or what have you you know, but another really I mean I think the way I took it is like, hey uh, just think outside the box you know or think not even think think like you know like think way beyond the box, <laughs> you know, uh, and you know like let's let's okay let's bring this over to let's say, just say in the context of traditional classical music like how many times people say hey you got to lift the notes off the page you know there's a there's a huge difference i know in classical music the connection between what's on the page and what you play is is going to be like 98 99% you know i mean you know it's like it's you know it's a it's a certain type of theater where you just have to follow the script right you know you know 
But that said, even if what you're, even if you're, you know, you have to follow the, 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 the page 98, 99%, there's still a huge difference between playing the notes and playing what you feel about the notes. That's a huge difference, right? Yeah. And, and in that way, this concept of lifting things off the page or thinking beyond the box is the same. You have to go beyond hmm. either the box or the page, you know? And so I think the, the things on the, were on the surface that sounded cryptic from Ornette is his way of, you know, saying, yeah, think big, you know? <laughs> think, you know, think, think way beyond the box. That's a really great perspective on it. Yeah, the, the, um, the whole tradition of, of each of those gentlemen really bringing their own persona and their own approach and their own amalgam of different mm -hmm. musical worlds, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and Ornette is unique in that I, I believe he's one of the first guys to start trying to write classical stuff and embracing classical uh, players, uh, the, the uh, poets and writers, early chamber piece, the uh, skies of America, obviously a lot of people will know of Ornette orchestral stuff. And I think that, that he's an innovator in that way because not a lot of guys even, even had the opportunity, much less the ideas for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many ways, like he makes way for guys like Muhal and Wadada and and Henry Threadgill, to to breach that that uh, mode yeah. and make it over into to bringing some influence into the classical world. I remember uh, the Kronos Quartet starting to play music by the what I call the Chicago guys like Muhal and and Wadada and Braxton. And yeah. I thought, well, this is a natural, you know, I've been listening to Braxton approach classical music. I've been listening to all these guys approach the idea of classical jazz or chamber jazz or improvisation composition, that whole nexus. And I, I think that was very inspiring to me as a person who's saying, do I want to be a jazz guy? Do I want to be a classical guy? Do I really want to sit in the back of an orchestra and go ding on a triangle? You know, or do I want to somehow be more involved personally? Because you, you touch on a great point, the personality, the expression, mm -hmm. the personal expression mm -hmm. is such a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. So did you have a similar experience working with, with Henry Threadgill and, and Muhal and Wadada, these guys that, that I've been mentioning? Um, you know, like I, they're, they're all a little bit different. I think, I think, I think, uh, I think Henry Threadgill is, is, um, is, is more cerebral. You know, he has this, uh, he has this really complicated looping um, technique <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, very, very uh, um, uh, complex um mixed meter rhythms uh, very long loops <laughs> and but but he uh, he actually like when i worked with him it was uh um 
we like we were we we, we really we we really like we were we spent a lot of time like in that loop in that another word to say maybe in that groove a, a bit of an asymmetric groove and uh um I, I, I'm getting a little bit. Let's just let's, let's just put it this way: that 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 drug deal has is is is, is more systematic, and then and 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 that's how um, and that's also how he um, um, works with his group and other musicians and and his 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 pieces. Um, uh, what 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 Dada has, um, <laughs> what what Dada has some very very interesting graphic notation, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know a lot of times you're 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 a lot of times when, when you're playing is is very much uh, uh, shapes and figures, and then and then you know they all they all have their unique way of. Um, of, uh, rep of of repeating material, and they have they all have their own unique way of how to represent that on the page. <laughs> and then and then the last person, this was really um, the last like uh, the couple years of Muhal's life. I, I was actually so fortunate to work really deeply with him on on a on a trio piece and and um and this was this, this was his composition there are three pages of music written out they represented i think three or four sections of music and and the trio was the trio was me on violin uh the cellist was a was a, a good friend a, a friend and colleague of megan burke and and it was Muho on piano himself. So this is we we actually we played together. It was really really special, and and we just like every time we played, I mean you know there's the written music, and then he would just structure it. You know if if the written music was like A B C and D, and then he would just throw in open open places, you know open sections, improvised sections, and. That's that's what we that's what we did, <laughs> and it was it was I mean that was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, like doing and we did about we did three performances of that. Was um, very very sad. He really left us too early. Yeah. Was that recorded, Tom? I. You know, I think uh, I think one of the concerts might have a live recording. So you know what, I I need to, I will I will want to do a little digging about that. Mm. Yeah. You know, talking about these gentlemen, it interests me to know, like, to what degree have you been influenced by them as a composer, as a musician? I think their work has really influenced what I do as an improviser. And so I think uh, so as as such, it, it it's really uh, it's really influenced, it's really expanded my improvisational vocabulary. 
Um, and uh, you know how it is with improvising. You're, um, you're, you always, you're, you're, you're always uh, interacting with who you're improvising with, right? So, so it's like, you know, you, there's this like give and take thing, right? And you're gonna, you know, you're gonna react to whoever also is in, the, you know, in the sonic space. And you just, um, you know, you take things, you, you develop things, you sometimes uh, make choices to, to maybe, uh, you know, either go with or go against what's happening, you know, things like that. Um, but, but definitely, um, I, I, I'm very thankful. I think the, the, the breadth of the work I've done with those type of people have really added to my own vocabulary. As a composer? So, and, and, and actually, that's the next step. And, uh, you know, one thing, I mean, one thing tricky with composing is, is especially, you know, one, you know, one doesn't usually give, you could, it's hard, it's not really, you can't really compose improvisations, right? You know what I mean? I mean, you could write some instructions, you know, play in the style of blah, 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 right? Things like that. But, but obviously the act of comp composition is to, to codify something, right? You know, to, to put it down. And, and no, there is, there is one, like, let's say technique or one part of my vocabulary that I actually did isolate and codify. And I, I turned that into like, uh, a, I, I will have to say a very satis very, um, a piece I'm very happy with for, for the Flux Quartet. And I wrote that in 2015. Um, that, that was a, that's the title of that piece is a uh, retrocon. And, uh, and that was a, yeah, it's a 20 minute piece. Uh, and it's, uh, it was, I mean, if, you like me to describe it it's it's a piece that for, is is my comprehensive exploration of string arpeggiation and um i mean i'm happy to say that that uh, i'm i'm working on i'm working on my on a solo album it it's it's almost near completion it'll probably be coming out it'll definitely be coming out in the spring I'm gonna say maybe May or June, and and this this piece is uh is is one of the six pieces on the album, the uh, Retrocon. Now, and people, so I I wanted to mention the people that Retrocon is on YouTube. If you want to see the Flux Quartet play this piece, it's a really invigorating, exciting piece with a lot of sawing away. I know I I was gonna ask Tom about that because there's all these quadruple stops of arpeggiating through all four strings with the bow. And when you get that going with four guys, it does not sound like four guys anymore. Well, that was, but thank you. That was, that's part of the, <laughs> that was part of the, my intent is, um, you know, you got four guys, they're all doing four strings. It's basically, it's basically like 16 guys. <laughs> it's 16 guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but that piece is, and you know, if you guys check that out on YouTube, um, 
that piece is for me is all about exploring sonorities. That that that's what's going on in that piece. Um, and like like I was saying, that the way I was exploring um, that approach to my instrument is something that came out of the improvisation context. Ah. And I think you might understand this is the one, one of the hardest things for a string instrument is, is to make the instrument uh, chordal. Polyphonic. Yeah, polyphonic, play chords. And that's, that is one way I've been able to, um, um, to, 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 in, to bring that into my language. You also work with, with more ambient kind of stuff, sound design stuff, is that true? Yeah, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that part of your musicality. What have you done in terms of sound design? I, I often, uh, again, this, this comes out of the context of improvisation. I would be improvising with electronic musicians, you know, and uh, that definitely, uh, I mean, a couple of things happen uh, in, in those situations. I, 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 I often work with a couple uh, effect, effect pedals. Um, with a pickup? Yeah, on a pickup. Um, but more, um, and, and sometimes I do some looping. Um, but I think even more than that, I, that's where I really, I, I really, um, you know, I'm someone who's really like, had a, a really widely explored um, extended techniques on my instrument. And, and, and it, 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 in, in, in so far as to, to explore it so I could, increase my instrument's sonic palette. So really sort of taking it out of like, you know, like a 18th century Italian <laughs> instrument sound and making a, um, make, make, making the sound like a lot, a lot more abstract, a lot more uh, uh, sort of, um, 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 you know, music concrete, um, a lot more industrial, you know, city sounds, that type of thing. Um, you know, one of my, one of my earliest improvis uh, uh, projects in this context was my improvisation with, with balloon artist Judy Dunaway. And I had to sort of integrate my violin so it it sort of weaved with the balloon <laughs> um, and what is she doing with the balloons she's she's rubbing and she's uh yeah she's rubbing or she's or she, or she has a, like a small piece that, that she controls letting the air out so so it it, it sounds like something it, it produces a sound that's very piercing you know so, so I think in these contexts, I might, I might be playing like, I, I might be playing the stratus like really high. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it really, um, it really pushes, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it results in an in-depth exploration of certain parameters of the instrument. 
you know it's it's all of us living in a post hendrix world where the instrument is a, a sound producer and a sound processor sure 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 and it allows you to get away from violinistic tendencies perhaps yeah yeah then I, yeah I, I start thinking it, it, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I just, I, I, like, definitely, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, in, in that context, I'm just thinking sound, you know? Yeah, it, it, it allows, allows one to, 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 be, to abstractify. Yeah, I, I was listening with, with pleasure to one of the pieces you sent me with electronics. Now, I'm curious, is that stuff that's being triggered in real time? Or is that overdub? What is that? that that was that's there's no overdubbing that's real time yeah yeah and that was i think i know i think i know what you're talking about um that that artist's name is michael schumacher and and he's yeah i mean he's he's doing a few things but the main thing he was doing was is a was a modular synthesizer yeah so so that's that's a duet between violin and yeah that's a duet between between me and him and he's he's just um he he has uh, an assortment of 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 sound producers electronic sound producers well what what sounds uh what pedals do you use when you're working with electronics so that i i had a there was a wawa and and there's also there was a there's also a, there was a, 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 a flanger yeah i actually i i, I do i do use you know let's let's call these like electronic toys and i i do incorporate them but i don't do it excessively i just i just do it uh when it makes sense to me and it, when it allows me to you know, I think of it as like another option for me. Um, but I would say I'm much more interested in just thinking about how to expand what I could do on the instrument. Mm. You know, and I think I think in that sense, um, I come, you know, I, I probably come more from, let's say, you know, kind of like the John Cage tradition of 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 you know exploring what one you know exploring and expanding the possibility of the instrument mm. and i think it's really i think it's really interesting when you're able to produce something from the instrument that nobody thinks you could you know like there's a there's like a there's like a subtone technique where i literally could make my violin sound like it's doing a duck call <laughs> and I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a whole world of extended techniques for, for violin and for strings. I, I've always loved writing for strings and um, always find, I always think of the, the strings as being incredibly varied tone generators, right? So there's, mm -hmm. there's a super sweet violin sound that we all know. But you know, if you come up listening to enough improvising violinists and and people who were were early amplifying violinists, 
like I mentioned, the Kendricks connection, but the whole idea then, of course, non-traditional approaches to the instrument, like grinding uh, with the yeah. bow or, yeah. or using the wood of the bow or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, off of the neck, all of these things that can, that can happen. Uh, were you interested in, in Leroy Jenkins at all as an improvising violinist? I, I had I interfaced with Leroy. Yeah. Um I I, I wish I spent more time with him, but but uh I, I yeah, I know some of his records. Yeah. Very, very very interesting. Um yeah. I'm just curious if there were other improvising violinists that were some people you checked out. Yeah, I need to I need to think there I mean there definitely are. Um that said, I think I often draw inspiration from uh, improvisers on other instruments. You know, you know, you know what I mean. Sure. Um, but uh, I mean, I know this is a totally different style, but like, I I think Grappelli is amazing, and I mean, I feel like when I hear Grappelli, I'm what I really learn from Grappelli is is his sense of time and his sense of feel and 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 one like you know time and feel is sometimes well i should no i time and feel is very often missing in the classical world <laughs> and yeah i i mean never never mind you know his whatever his his uh his acrobatics you know i mean he's it's amazing what he does but yeah just the time and feel it's, it's just, you learn so much just like focusing on that. Um, improvising, ah. you know, recently I've, I've been, I've gotten into um, um, some of the masters of, of Indian violin playing. Um, oh, the master, was, I think it's Ron, R-A-N, right? Uh, well, it's you know what it's a new area of interest for me. Is the is is the the amazing Indian type of playing? Um, like, well, a, a a contemporary player right now that's awesome is Kala Ramnath. Mm. Yeah, and um, I mean their way of uh, you know they have they have their unique way of going up and down the instrument. What did you think of Ornette as a violinist? Oh, I, uh, I've, I've seen some stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. I guess people don't. <laughs> he that he would take the violin and and flip yeah, yeah. it, right? It's, it's the other way. Yeah. Um, actually, on a festival that I that I and the and Flux did with him in 2005 at the Walker Art Center, he. Uh, he 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 uh, he used my violin, and actually, in in their set, he played he played the violin quite a lot. <laughs> he dug your violin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really funny part of Ornette's musicality because, I think more on trumpet he would play traditionally, but when he played violin. It was a sound source. It was a sound source, yep. Yeah. 
Um, he, he's not afraid to like tell the whole audience, hey, I'm just experimenting on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just throw a couple other names at you because I, I find these guys so interesting and nobody ever talks about them. But uh, did you collaborate with Phil Niblock? Uh, yes, I actually, yeah, <laughs> he's one of my favorite people ever on this planet. And by the way, this album I'm working on is, is on Phil's uh, uh, XI, uh, Experimental Intermedia label. So uh, a big yes, um, he, um, you know, love, love his work as as both both as a video artist and as as a as a and a, and a musician and he you know uh, um, he uh, I mean I don't know I, probably a lot of your audience would know he he has he has had his his um his resident his place of residence has also been like this incredible like old school Soho style loft space that he's presented so much interesting um, music and sound art at. You know, I played there many times, actually. It's, oh, when, when were you there? I played there in the 80s and when it was in, you know, uh, in, in New York and, and then into the 90s, Experimental Intermedia Foundation. Oh my gosh, I, I, I didn't know that. That's all, <laughs> yeah. I know I I kind of came into the space in the late night. I can't like discover the space in the late nineties. Yeah. Oh, amazing! And it's it's like it's one of the remaining places from that era with that you know with that feel. It's um, a loft space. <laughs> it's you know nothing very fancy about it. Yeah. But I have very many uh, fond memories of going to concerts there or playing there. John Cage would be in the audience regularly. He would show. Oh, up. wow, amazing! So, again, that's a little bit similar to what we were saying about um, about the adventurous jazz musicians. Is is Phil? So it's like Phil that you know Phil and his performance space has created a an incredible community of, of 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 different types of artists and yeah so i media yeah mixed media i i really um i think i think of it as it, it, you know it, it feels like a it feels like a home away from home <laughs> yeah and it predates roulette i mean it's 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 one of the original spaces you know that's right. Um, and what is your your interest and in your uh, output in terms of uh, mixed media and multimedia performance? That's something you're into. Um, I I am into it, but I don't. Um, I haven't I haven't done anything in the context of of, of large production. You know, um, maybe you know maybe that's something that will be in the cards in the future but but obviously that would that's something that would require a thought a lot of thought you know to, to come up to, you know to come up with a, a a a project proposal you know of that sort but i i mean just on a on a smaller scale um collaboration 
um, context, you know, I, I often, um, often working or playing uh, with, with people, you know, do, do, uh, working other media. Um, uh, da, 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 da. You work with dancers? Yes, yes, we do that. Um, I don't know if you know, jeez, uh, oh, uh, uh, Jacobs. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if you heard of the filmmaker Ken Jacobs. Oh, sure. Yeah, so like, you know, I've, I've, you know, so I've done, I've collaborated with him. You know, that's, that's definitely, you know, mixed media. Um, yeah, and, and uh, your, your last question. Yeah, we, we have done, uh, I, I myself and um, the quartet has definitely done a lot of projects with dancers. Um, uh, of, of no is, oh, I, I'd say over the last uh, six to eight years, six to nine years, we've, we've worked at the dancer named Pam Tanowitz. And there've been a few programs, but one program has been the two Nan Carroll quartets like set to her dance and and most recently actually and i don't know no you know what great music is great music you know we're not we're we're okay with playing things before 1945 so so a recent project also with this choreographer pam tanowitz is is uh is flux playing uh bartok's fifth quartet number five number five yeah wow performances were Performances were, were sadly, you know, whatever you want to call it, postponed or canceled during the pandemic. But word has it that next February 2022, we're going to do that project with the New York City Ballet. Wow, that would be great. Yeah. So, yes, we, 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 have, we, have, we have worked a lot with dance. So what's in the future for Flux Quartet? Are you guys... Uh looking toward the next couple of years with a lot of stuff lined up or what, what is your uh, outlook? We, we have, uh, I, you know, it's looking like uh, several of the summer festivals and, you know, last year, everything was, everything was postponed, but it's looking like a lot of them are going to, going to happen this summer. And then as we go further in the fall, um, yeah, we have like, we have two or three recording projects with, with, with some lesser known living composers. Oh, I, I should say, we just, we just did this. This was one of the last things we did prior to the pandemic was we had, uh, we had a couple uh, concerts in Japan um, in the in the city of Yokohama, Japan, and one of the concerts was um, all the string quartets by Toshi Ichianagi, and that actually uh, the, when the when the concert happened, they they pushed the record button, so that has resulted in a, in a live live recording of all his string quartets. How many? That, uh, six. So that that actually came out like late 2020. And uh, I, I guess, you know, I'll have to I have to find a 
I have to, uh, if, if anybody's interested, I, ha I have to send you like a link with information, but I have to do a little digging. But, but that's, a, that's a recording. That, so that's our most recent output and something we're very proud of. Ichi Nagi is such an interesting composer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people are familiar with Takamitsu, but but they're not as familiar with Ichinagi, but just such fantastically rich. Do you? I, well, you must know Ichinagi's uh, connection with Yoko Ono, right? I don't think I do, Tom. <laughs> he, he's Yoko Ono's first husband. Oh. <laughs> that, he was actually he was actually part of Fluxus. And he, that's, but she's part of Flux, right? She was part of Fluxus. Fluxus, yeah. And in the early days, he was too because he he was tight with John Cage. I I mean, he may have even I don't know. Maybe he was. Good. Anyways, I mean, let's just say his um, involvement in the Fluxus thing is is definitely attributable to to John Cage. And yeah, the, he the, there's <laughs> he was he was Yoko Ono's first husband. <laughs> there, there I gave you I gave this that was my new uh, Wikipedia information that I <laughs> provided today. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I actually did didn't put those two things together. Well, Tom, it's, it's been such a, a lot of fun to speak with you about stuff. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, fluxquartet.com. Okay. Um, we also have quite a bit of stuff on YouTube. And uh, yeah, this, this, this album that, um, that I'm working on uh, hopefully will be out May, May or June. Um, and you know, I, I suppose there will be a. It'll, it'll definitely be on the experimental intermedia website. So I think that that's experimentalintermedia.org. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. Anything from Tom Chu and the Flux Quartet. Yeah. Well. Well, thank you. Um, it's I've had a. It's been really fun catching up with you and just, you know. Just, just, it's great to talk music, right? That's why we're here. I'm, I mean, is there anything else better than this? <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely gotten me through some months. Yeah. You know, being able to chat with people about all their little projects and their interests and nobody's ever boring. So everybody's got something interesting. And, uh, Tom, you know, we, we've known each other for over 20 years and, and I know you're always doing something interesting. So. I, I I was so happy to reconnect with you yeah. when we when we met each other in Princeton. That was a, a great moment. Yeah, it had been a while, and and that that was really a great concert. And you know, always happy to to see your projects out there doing something different. Tom Chu, thank you so much. All right, all right, everybody. Thanks, Greg. Please uh, continue to follow what we're doing here. Like and subscribe, and we'll have more interesting musicians coming up in the future, just like we have in the past. So thanks to, to everyone out there for listening from me, Greg Bendian, and the broadcast. We'll see you next time. See you.